How many of you here are ready to worship God this morning? Amen.
Please have a seat for a moment.
Show me your faith without deeds. Show me your life without hope. Show me results without effort. You see, what works is not me, 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 your living life alone in your mistakes and your regrets. I'm not standing here telling you to forget it all because scars are never that simple. Pains such as your past never erase in a flash, and failure should not be a reason to fail in living a life of success. Doing what's right isn't always fun, and doing the good in the world won't always make sense. But doing your best is at least every chance of being great. Let's face it, we can complain all we want. We can be haunted with the same memories, worry, and be stressed out about how much we didn't study last night about money, addictions, relationships, or just overwhelmed over life's petty problems. You know, we can look at these obstacles in some cases mountains and be frozen in terror, practically scared to death, even to the point that the necessities of life start to become an obligation like eating, socializing, even confessing a death. Or, you can call me crazy, but declare that we will overcome. We can proclaim our victories. There comes a time that we need to understand that victory takes faith, hope, and a little effort. It's not a one-way street. With faith as small as a mustard seed, mountains can be moved, right? Jesus didn't complain when he was on this earth. He struggled like any of us, if not more. The strength to overcome is admirable. Great that we've won battles before and and the wars that we've gone over and just had victory in that. Let's be in awe of the ultimate victory. Our Savior took our sins, died and rose again, and indeed we have victory. So when we see those mountains move, why don't we move on forward instead of declaring defeat? Singing, Savior. 
honor and glory. You're worthy of all of our praise. You overcame. Sing in Jesus, you're awesome in power forever. Awesome and great is your name. You overcame. Power at hand. Power at hand. Speaking the Father's plan. And you're sending. You're sending us out light in this broken land. And all authority. All authority. Every victory is yours. All authority. Every
Everyone with different thoughts on their mind, Lord. Everyone with different things that they have to do today. Everyone with different stresses and everyone with different worries and everyone with different cares and everyone with different burdens and everyone with different plans for today, Lord. And we've come, come to this place today to look specifically at what you can do how you can work through one faithful servant and how that can spread into a movement. And we know, Lord, that's not just the Old Testament times. That's not just for the, for the New Testament church. That's for all time, God. That's not just for the civil rights movement, Lord. That's not just for some, some bloody revolution. No, Lord, that's for every single day you can work in and through our lives to create a movement of your love, God. Thank you for the promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us, God. You've promised us that you will hold us in the palm of your hand and that you have a plan for our lives, God. And that no matter what we face, we can overcome by the power of your name, God, because no matter what we face in this world, you have overcome the world, God. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your love and for how you gave it all for us on the cross and you continue to be just fighting for us to notice you right now, Lord. Help us not to turn a blind eye to you, Lord, but help us to truly recognize that you are right there with us calling out our name, God, right now. Help us to know we don't have to walk through this world alone. God, but you were right there with us, loving us and reaching out to us and saying, it's going to be all right because I am by your side. I got a plan for you. You can change the world. God, I pray that we would just be with you today, be in your spirit today, know your love, that it might shine through us and reach us in a new way this morning and throughout the rest of our day, God. Please be with the speaker, Lord. Please be with everything that happens today, Lord, that your power may be made known, and that glory may be made to your name. In your name I pray. I care. I care. I. I care. I care about the earthquake that hit Haiti on January 12, 2010. The worst natural disaster 
to give them for nearly 200 years. I care for the millions of people that are displaced all over Port-au-Prince and for the thousands that are dead. I care for those whose homes were destroyed. And for the families torn apart. We, 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 we care. We care. We care. We care. And we know we do too. Let us help this country move. Tonight, February 3rd, come to the men's and women's bathroom. It's only $5 to get it, $3 if you're a student, and $8 to get Come, wear red, and show. And show. And show. And show that you care too. God cares, amen? My God is a good God. Yes, he is. Amen? Amen. amen. Let's, uh, let, let's give the Lord a hand of praise for a gospel choir that was We thank God. We thank God for them. They have been a tremendous inspiration for many and all of us and a home, a spiritual home for many of our many of our, of our of our community and we give God thanks. Um, the, the the video that was just shown afterwards, just want to reiterate a couple of things because the sound might have gone a bit um, haywire there at the end. Uh, students have come together and try to as God cares, so should we. And um, and part of the I care series is this evening at the uh, men's and women's basketball games. There'll be series of activities, and we also ask you to come and, and um, share. There, there'll be a, a contribution um, that is going to be asked of you as, as you come in, and all of that is going to um, help us partner with those in, uh, in, in Haiti. Welcome to our Martin Luther King Jr. Church. Today we have as our speaker, Dr. Greg Detweiler. Dr. Detweiler is the Director of Intercultural Ministries at Emmanuel Gospel Center, an interdenominational urban ministry organization here, right here in Boston. The mission of the Intercultural Ministries of, uh, at EGC, Emmanuel Gospel Center, is to connect the body of Christ across cultural lines for the purpose of expressing and advancing the kingdom of God in Boston, New England, and around the world. Greg, worked with, Greg works with a wide cross-section of leaders from over 100 ethno-linguistic ethno -linguistic groups. His ministry largely involves applied research, training, consulting, networking, and collaboration. I'll just read a couple more lines because we need to get to the message. Prior to joining the staff at EGC in 2001, Greg served for 13 years as a church planter and pastor of a multicultural church here in Boston. He also served for five years as the pastor of Missions and Diaspora Ministries at Mount Hope Christian Center in Burlington. He earned his Doctor of Ministry in Urban Ministry in 2001 from Gordon-Conwell Theological, Theological Seminary in Ministry and Complex Urban Settings. His thesis 
nurturing diaspora ministry and missions in a Euro-American majority congregation has provided much of the direction of his ministry in recent years. Raised in Kansas, Greg graduated from Evangel University in the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in Springfield, Missouri, not Massachusetts. Greg and his wife Rita live in, in right here in Boston and they're the parents, the proud parents of three children. Let's give a warm EMC welcome to Dr. Greg Zetweiler. Thank you, Dr. Benjamin. It is truly my honor and pleasure to be here. What a precious gift. I've been on the campus only one other time. I've been in Boston since 1984, and it's been a long time. But man, what an awesome secret, <laughs> at least a secret to me. Uh, the energy and the, and the, the, uh, the diversity in the, this campus is awesome. Um, so it is truly my, my privilege to be here. I'm very inspired by your, your presence. Um, I, uh, I, let, me, let me just give you a little context before I jump into the main thing of what I want to say, because it will give a little context to the whole thing that I'm going to say. If I were to ask you, you know, what's the status of Christianity in Boston or in New England? Or how would you typify it in a word or a phrase? You know, you could think about that as a rhetorical question, but I've asked that question many times, and a lot of folks around the country would say Boston and New England is the land of the frozen chosen. There's not a lot happening there. It's the minister's graveyard, you know, and all those kinds of things. And while there's a kernel of truth in that in some respects, there's a problem that I have with that in that there's a, there's a perspective and understanding and this is so much of what God is doing. And if you took a wide look historically of what God has been doing in, in the Boston area in the last four decades, for example, if you did a snapshot of what the Christian church looked like in the, civil, uh, in the, the times of civil unrest, the, the 60s, late 60s and 70s, if you took a snapshot of what the church looked like at that time, it's vastly different today. And I'm here to tell you that God's alive and working. If you took a snapshot back at that time, you would have the white flight that was going on in many cities across the United States, including Boston. White institutions, including our own seminary, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, that left the city. Many white churches and Christians that left the city. And who was standing strong? The African-American churches. They were the ones that were holding, not like they had a lot of choice in terms of leaving. And then there were a few, uh, you know, kind of Bible-declaring uh, congregations. Park Street Church, it was downtown. Tremont Temple, the first integrated church in the United States. Um, but something has happened in the last three or four decades. Churches and whole streams of movements that didn't exist in our region are now there. For example, in 1969, we had one Haitian church. Now there are 200 Haitian churches. In, in, in New England, averaging about 200, peop uh, 200 people. Even the mobilization with this recent Haiti crisis, there is an infrastructure and a structure of gathering the diaspora Haitian Christian leaders in, in, in terms of uh, doing things in Haiti. That didn't exist before. The Chinese movement, uh, we had one Chinese church in the 60s in Chinatown. Now there are around 18 in Greater Boston. All of them have grown 20 to 80% in the last decade. So they're growing churches. The Korean churches, uh, you know, it, uh, we've gone from, from zero 
to around 80 Korean congregations in, in New England in the last three decades. Largest Muslim country in the world is what? Indonesia. <laughs> Indonesia. Uh, the first Indonesian congregation was started in the church that I was pastoring in the north end of Boston. Started as an Indonesian fellowship at Park Street Church, and they needed a place to meet. And so we opened the door, and you know, as a young pastor at that time, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I didn't know the strategic nature of the kind of stuff that we were involved in in those days. It took me to, you know, to look back and, 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 and consider that. And so uh, in 2002, there were two Indonesian churches. We looked five years later, and there were 25 largest Muslim country in the world sending Christian missionaries to New England to start, you know, to start churches. Um, so it's amazing. And you could go on and down through the stream. So all that to say as a backdrop to what I'm going to say is that God is alive and well and working. And while there are challenges in, uh, there are also the great vitality. And so we have an opportunity for a new conversation in the church. That really is represented in this room and the diversity that I see in this room. And we need to enter into that conversation. So let me move now to, uh, wow, okay, we'll do the best we can. Okay, um, in the spirit of remembering Martin Luther King this, uh, Jr., this thing, our theme really uh, uh, that Robert gave me was being a change agent. Now, I'm not an MLK scholar per se, but his life and legacy inspire us all to consider how our lives might be used to, to be change agents in the world. Indeed, it is Jesus who identifies us as such when he calls us to be salt and light and leaven in this world. You see, as kingdom people, we are called to a prophetic ministry. In fact, it is virtually impossible to be an authentic kingdom person and not be prophetic because the very nature of being a kingdom person makes you prophetic in, in, in this world. Um, I'm reminded of the story in, in Numbers 11, 26 and 29, where it says there that a young man ran and told Moses that Eldad and Medad were prophesying in the camp. And Joshua piped up and said, Moses, Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, and I love his reply, I wish that all the Lord's people, people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit in them. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. In fact, that is God's design. As people of the kingdom of God, we are prophets in this world. So, because my time is short this morning, I want to make sure and give you the punchline up front of the sermon. And, and it's simply this. We cannot be change agents in the world unless we are willing to be changed ourselves. And by ourselves, I mean us, me, personally, but also us collectively. Our churches, our schools, our institutions, our organizations, that we need to be in a default, a constant default mode of a willingness to change and to learn as individuals, as communities, as organizations, and whatnot. Now, to illustrate what I mean, um, I want to move kind of from the pulpit to the classroom and I, and be forewarned, so I'm going to do a little of my professor hat for a moment. And go ahead and hit that PowerPoint. I'm going to try and quickly go through this uh, as, as quickly as I can. So um, I, what I want to give to you is a model for personal, what I call a model for personal and organizational transformation. 
And uh, I just want to quickly describe each of these elements because I think these are the elements that are involved in being agents of change, but also elements that are involved in us having the, the capacity to, to change ourselves and organizations that we're part of or whatnot. Now, that isn't the PowerPoint slide that I had. Go ahead, and if you got it. Okay, well, hopefully it'll go up, you know. So just imagine with me that screen. <laughs> um, there are four kind of elements that, um, that, are, that, that are involved in this model that I use with my students as well as when I would consult an organization. And I, it's just kind of a way that I've thought about over the last few years of a way of describing how change happens. And the first, uh, the first uh, kind of quality that is needed is really is to have a prophetic vision. Prophetic vision is what? It's, it's understanding what God's highest and best intention is. What he meant in creation and what he means in redemption. Martin Luther King had a prophetic vision. He understood what God's intention was. And where do we get prophetic vision from? What are our sources for it? Of course, we know that our primary source is the scripture, right? That's God's intention and what, what he desires. Okay, go ahead and click it again for the, fir the first point. Um, when we have prophetic vision, we see what God's intention is, but when we have that light, we also see where we are, and whenever prophetic vision is operational, we'll see a gap. And that's what Martin Luther King saw. He saw God's intention, he saw where we were, and there's a gap, and whenever prophetic vision is shown, that's what happens. And where do we get it from? We get it from the Word, we get it from the Spirit as we pray and the, spirit, you know, the, the spiritual communion that we have with the Lord as He illumines. And there's a third source, it is, that it is that we have the community. And uh, uh, the community is very important uh, in terms of getting prophetic understanding from one another. Because, and it's very related to the first two. Who are you reading the Bible with and who are you praying with? Makes altogether the difference. A few years ago with Dr. Benjamin, we did a little project called the uh, uh, Who Do You Say I Am Symposium, um, Global Perspectives on the Life of Christ. And we had a Korean scholar and an African scholar and a, and a Hispanic scholar come in and talk about their understanding of the person and life of Jesus because even the way we read the scripture is through our cultural lens. And if we have a conversation with one another or walking to one another across cultural lines, even the person of Jesus becomes richer. And, uh, and, and, and so that's a way that we increase our prophetic understanding through community and through reading the Bible. It's not enough to read the Bible on our own or to pray on our own, but we do this in community. And that's part of the dynamism of, of finding a greater clarity in terms of our prophetic vision. Um, I'm going to skip a few things here. A, pro, a, a few examples uh, of our need to learn in the context of a diverse community. Uh, we had an electorate recently, right? It's called the Scott Heard Round the World, right? Now, I don't know what your analysis of that. There's a lot of pundits that talk about, you know, what that meant. But what I found, a different interpretation comes from different sectors, even within the body of Christ. So if I'm talking to my white Republican suburban folks, it's like the Messiah has come, you know, in the person of Scott Brown. And then when I'm, well, my, my brothers and sisters of color in the city, grave concern over what went down. And this even within the body of Christ. 
there are different perspectives. And, uh, you know, we need to have a conversation. My concern is, is that in these matter of politics, there isn't a context for a meaningful conversation to happen. Sometimes when we're so far in our camp, in our entrenched perspectives, we aren't even entering to understand that there is, within the body of Christ, different perspectives. And even on that score, you know, I don't know what you think about the election. Was it, like, awesome and, like, God working, or was there, real, there was some real danger here, or some real problems? I don't know what, what's in the room, you know? Probably a mixture in the room. We need to have a conversation about that. And if you can't ha- understand how somebody would rejoice or how somebody would have concern, there's one of your assignments. Go out and figure, figure out how that could be. People who love God and love Jesus and honor the Bible have these two very diametrically opposed views of what went down. And if you hold one view, go and find out why somebody could legitimately have another view. And you'll be moving down the road to expanding your prophetic understanding and vision. I, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get past this first point, but... I was just came from Dallas last week, and there was a gathering of North American leaders who were going to the Luzon uh, Conference in South Africa. Now, some of you missions history folks know that Luzon, the Luzon movement happened, the first one happened in 74. It was kind of an epic gathering. Billy Graham uh, initiated it in Luzon, Switzerland, and there was tremendous, uh, a global conversation of the church around the world. And this will be the third gathering, and and each time it has fueled a whole new understanding of God's work on the earth. There was creativity that came out of the first Luzon that got us unstuck, and there was new levels of learning because we came together. And then another one happened in the Philippines in the 80s, and now in October they will gather in Luzon 4,000 representatives from across the world, 400 delegates from the United States, very diverse gathering. And this gathering in Dallas was to prepare the U.S. delegation who were going to be going to South Africa to know how to prepare themselves, to humble themselves, so that they would posture themselves to listen to the rest of the body across the world. And we wouldn't come in with our American arrogance, you know. And I thought it was great preparing those that we'll represent to be humble and to listen to others. Let me just give you one example of how prophetic vision even happened in that gathering. The international convener, some of you maybe know, is Doug Birdsall. And Doug was speaking at this gathering in Dallas, and he was just giving an example, and he was saying he named his son Jud, Jud is, his, is his son's name, after, after Adonine Judson. Which conventional wisdom it is taught historically that he is the first missionary to leave the, the United States to go to another country to represent Jesus as a missionary. And I loved it. There was an African-American brother in the congregation who stood up and said, Doug, I just need to correct you. It wasn't Judson who was the first missionary. The first missionary that we know that was several years before him was actually a, a man by the name of George Lyle, who, who was an African-American freed slave who went to the West Indies and represented Jesus in the West Indies. As a matter of fact, you go to to, uh, Jamaica and you will travel down George Lyle Boulevard. But I love what happened is that Doug humbled himself and said, Brother, thank you 
But that's just an example of our limited understanding and how we need to walk humbly to listen to the rest of the body of Christ because sometimes we don't even have the story right. And it gets repeated over and over and over because we're not having a conversation with the wider body of Christ. So if we're going to be change agents in the world, first of all, we've got to be changeable people ourselves. And our organizations really have to represent a learning organization that we operate in our churches and our organizations with a default setting of repentance. And in order to walk in the fruit of repentance means that we walk in humility. As we have a keener prophetic vision, we can be prophetic voices. As we are prophetic voices, we come together as a team and we, we create a team. Martin Luther King did not do it alone. William Wilberforce did not do it alone. There's a team. And you have to create a team that will be a functional team to do something with the prophetic vision and prophetic voice that you, you, you have. And, you know, team development is no easy thing. You know, the stages of team development is, is forming, storming, norming, and performing. And if you're, a, if you're a monocultural team, that process happens. But when you try and be a multicultural team, that is magnified, that storming piece. But that's part of the deal. And the thing is, it, you, don't, you don't do it one time. It, it needs to happen continually over and over and over again for your team to be functional and for your team to continually be learning and for your team to be a prophetic voice and a team that can make it that can be a change agent in the world. But we cannot do it on our own. Yes, we need to change personally, but we also need a community to do it. Um, I'm, I'm not even just go ahead and click through that. And so the whole thing's up. I'm just going to I'm going to wrap it up now. I'm, I'm, I'm past. The, the last thing I would say is that um, is that you need a safe environment really to do this well. You you. Uh, uh, the first thing you do, if you have paint from one can and you're trying to get it in another can, the first thing you want to make sure is not only you have the lid off the can that you're trying to, but the lid is off the, the top of the can you're trying to pour the paint in. If you have prophetic insight and you're trying to affect change, the first thing you need to do is to make sure the lid's off the can you're trying to pour it in. Because if that doesn't happen, all you have is a mess. And uh, I wish I had some time to unpack that. Um, and, and part of the way of getting the lid off, and this is really important, this to me is one of the most missing elements, is to let people know that you love them and that you listen to them. And when you're trying to bring your prophetic voice to bear in any situation, your first and most important responsibility is to communicate love and care and then ask God for the wisdom of how to pop the lid off so that they actually will be able to enter into a conversation and be transformed with maybe some prophetic insight that you have to bear. And that's really important. I'm past my time. Can I just pray for, pray for us? So, Lord, thank you for this privilege of uh, sharing this morning at Eastern Nazarene College. I thank you for these young men and women, these brothers and sisters, and I bless them in Jesus' name. I pray that you guide them and use them and help them, Lord, to form good 
functional teams that can be prophetic voices in a needy world. Lord, help us to be as willing and even more eager to be changeable people than we are to want to change others. Lord, as we do that, our capacity to, to be a change agent will increase. And for that, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, let you be seated for a, a bit. the testimony. Listen. We have come over a way that with tears have been watered. We have come treading 
Yeah. 